Kelly throws the slide. Man's wide open. Time. Room. Bullseye. What is up, bros? Anybody care to lax? Welcome to episode nine of the Crease Die, presented by Barstool Sports, your one-stop shop for that stick talk for lax rats, by lax rats. Uh, real quick, Rabio. So we're on episode nine here. When I say the number nine, I think that this is a generational thing, and you know, you and I, we're we're pretty much in the same generation here. But when I say the number nine. Who do you immediately think of? Does your brain go right to Paul Rabel or are you Mark Millen? Excellent question, Jordy. Uh, Episode nine is a monumental one for us lax rats. Uh, For me, it's going to go Paul Rabel, but I'd be lying if I didn't grow up on that Mark Millen uh, offensive wizard DVD as a kid. For you, who are we going with? I, I, I've been, I spent so much time, you know, in middle school, high school, just watching Paul Rabel highlights on YouTube, uh, wearing that number nine for Hopkins. But I think, you know, the, the time's kind of moved on a little bit, and I more associate him with that 99. Um, you know, Mark Millen was kind of, Mark Millen's really the, the godfather for some of us attackmen out there. So I'm, I'm going to pay, you know, my tributes, my respects to the godfather there, Mark Millen. Uh, Paul, you'll, you'll get your shine on the show a little bit later, no doubt about it. Uh, but yeah, so I am Jordy from Barstool, joined with me as always. You know him, the kid, Robbie O. Rob, how we doing this week, buddy? We're doing well, man. A little snow day today. Uh, we're recording this episode on a Wednesday. A uh, little upset alert. Uh, we had Michigan, huge monumental win for their program, knocking off Notre Dame. So no one would have saw that coming 10 years ago. So that was huge. But uh, having a good week, man. Had a great weekend. Uh, I know I know you had a great weekend uh, trying out for the Ohio machine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so the machine and the Florida launch, I had a little joint open tryout uh, in here, the Philly area, Bryn Athen College. I think uh, Tucker Durkin's the coach there. Uh, so, you know, I, I went there on Sunday, a little open tryout action. We will have video from that tryout come out at some point, maybe next week or so. Uh, but I mean, it was. Uh, you know, it was it was an eye opening experience. I think that I did well out there. I definitely didn't stand out as the worst guy there, uh, which is which is huge for me. I always try my best. Huge. You know, I kind of live my life as a gray guy. You know, kind of you know not great, but not terrible either. Just kind of right there in the middle. You never really remember if he was there or not. Um, so that's kind of the sweet spot that I'm always looking to be in. So I think that that's where I ended up at that tryout. Uh, you know, it's it's a shame that uh, that that you weren't able to make it out there, but. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I talked to the coaches. I said, listen, you guys have to keep a roster spot open for that lefty attack spot for my boy, Robbie O. He is going to sting corners left and right. So if you get a phone call from, uh, you know, from Coach Bear there with the machine, let's go. Know that, uh, you know, I, I should get at least 10% of that contract. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. I'm, uh, dude, we have, uh, the Crease Dive Boys have a lot of stuff in store for the rest of the season as well as the summer. With that being said, let's get into the weekend recap, starting off with Albany just dismantling, destroying, mollywhopping, and and it hurts me to say this, and I'm sure it hurts you too, 
just destroying our Vermont Catamounts, who we took so much pride in. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, we saw, you know, when we talked to Ian McKay, when he was on the podcast, you know, we said, you know, we we're looking down their schedule and we're saying like, dudes, if you guys can stay undefeated and head into Albany at 7-0, and uh, that undefeated matchup between the Great Danes and the Catamounts is going to be huge. Um, you know, and I was expecting a ton of goals in that game. Uh, and we did get a ton of goals in that game. We, we got 26 goals to, to be exact. Uh, the only issue there is that 21 of those goals were for <laughs> Albany and, uh, and, and only five were for Vermont. Um, I mean, listen, Vermont, that was the best start of the season that they've had in program history. They're doing great work right now. They're for sure a top 20 team. I don't care what happened last weekend. They're definitely a top 20 team. With that being said, uh, Albany's on another level this year. There are only a few teams in the nation who are on that same level as them. Uh, you know, and I think that we saw kind of last week that Vermont isn't quite there yet. I mean, when you've got, you know, a kid like DeHogan Nanico just throwing just, Casual bounce passes to Connor Fields on man up, and then Connor Fields throws a skip pass down on right on the doorstep there for an easy layup goal. Um, you know, Albany was just making it look a little too easy out there, and you can tell that they're. Yeah, I mean, they were putting on a clinic out there. Uh, Albany was just on a completely different level, uh, and we've been kind of seeing it all year with them. They've been, I mean, that's why they call them the Dane Train. They've been absolutely rolling over teams. Obviously, they're the close game versus Maryland, but, you know, this is an, this is an Albany team that I mean, we expected them to be good. They're living up to the hype. They are number one for a reason, so... Um, there is still life for the Vermont Catamounts. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but uh, definitely a huge blow. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, Jordy. I was just really disappointed that that just I don't really care who the outcome was. I know you were rooting for Albany. I was rooting for Vermont, but I, I honestly was just wishing, just hoping for a good game, not a 21 to five game. Yeah, it sucks because that one was kind of over pretty much right from the get-go. But, you know, so you mentioned Albany putting on a clinic against Vermont there. Let's talk about another clinic that was put on. This one was more of an individual effort. We had Pat Spencer going the fuck off against the midshipmen from Navy. Uh, Pretty sure our guy put up 12 points in that game. Uh, And the best one out of all of them, uh, this goal, the, the highlight, it's, I mean, if, if you haven't seen this highlight before, uh, then you're probably not a lacrosse fan, but you know, the highlight it's been on our social channels on Twitter and Instagram. I wrote a whole blog on it on barstoolsports.com. This goal from Pat Spencer was so goddamn ridiculous. And this is why Pat Spencer is one of the premier attackmen in college lacrosse. You know, let's just talk about this real quick. And now, you know, I, I know that it's tough because we're on a podcast. So you're not actually seeing the goal as we're speaking about it, but I'm sure that you guys have all seen it at this point. This is why teams cannot slide to Pat Spencer. This is why if you slide to number seven in green, you are going to die. It's going to be a fast death. So, I mean, at least you have that going for you. It's not going to be prolonged. It's not going to be, you know, a a real brutal death, but you're going to die because the moment you slide to this kid, you know, for the first two years, as he's been at, at Loyola, you know, you slide to him. He's either so good at understanding where that slide's coming from right away that he can dish it off to the guy who just got slid from 
or he's so smart and he understands how the defense is working that he's going to expose that two slide on the back end. So anytime, you know, the first two years that he's been at Loyola, you know, if he beats his man and you slide to him, it's a guaranteed assist. This year, what we're seeing, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, Navy had to find this out the hard way, you slide to him, he's going to beat the slide man as well. Not only did he beat, so he beats his original defender, gets a roll on him, gets a little bit of a step, has another pull slide out to him. He backhand toe drags this shit, dodges that slide man, and then another pull comes sliding to him in the crease, and Buddy just rips this backhand laser into the top corner. Tucks it in the top pocket. Tucks it home. Good night. You can only have four long poles on the field at once on defense, and Pat Spencer just dominated three of them on that one goal. I mean, Rabio, tell like how how do people stop Pat Spencer? How do you stop Loyola? Uh, you, you can't, and <laughs> I don't know. Now we'll, we'll be seeing the rest of the uh, rest of the year. But the, the kid's an absolute human highlight reel. Uh, I think you painted the picture the best. I'm not even gonna try to top it. Uh, only two cents I can add is uh, most underrated part of that clip is just in the, the background behind the X. You have attackman number four, Jay Drapiao. After fucking Spencer tucks it home, he just has his hands over his face, shaking his head because he couldn't even believe what just happened to those poles that just got absolutely big boyed. So <laughs> they're gonna. Uh, that's gonna be an interesting uh, film session for uh, the Navy defense. That's one place that I do not want to be. But uh, moving on to a little mass action, Harvard versus Boston, which just happened earlier this week. Harvard is hot right now, Jordy. What do we got here? Yeah, uh, not only is Harvard hot on the field, but Harvard is also hot on this podcast. We are going to be bringing on uh, Barstool's own Francis a uh, little bit later on on the podcast, Francis, uh, I mean, he's a man of many talents as Barstool, as we'll get into in the interview. Uh, but he actually played, uh, you know, he had his four years at Harvard. Uh, you know, he's a lax guy there. And, you know, so Harvard, big come from behind overtime victory over BU. And it's this it's Morgan Cheek leading the way again. You know, I, I don't want to talk about it too much because, you know, Francis talks about the entire Cheek family later on in that interview but Morgan Cheek this kid put up 13 points in this game 13 points he had five goals eight assists in this game uh you know he had the I'm pretty sure he had the goal that uh tied it up to send it to overtime and then he also had the game winner as well Harvard's at six and one um you know we'll we'll talk about it a little bit a little bit later in the episode I mean they've got a tough as hell uh, Ooh, end yeah. of the end, end of the season schedule. I mean, they've got Albany, Cornell, Penn, Princeton. Uh, there, there's one other team there on their bottom five. You'll hear it in the, in the interview. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be Yale. I mean, besides those Ivy League teams, they got all, Albany. It's, it's their outside of conference team. Yeah, but a six and one start to start the year. I mean, it it definitely sets them up in a position where they can at least do something. There, I mean, they seem right now like they're a team that at the very least can make that Ivy League tournament. Uh, Robbie L, I mean, what, what do you got on the, you know, on those nerves at Harvard? No, the, the Crimson are hot as well as the Ivy League. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But, dude, the, the Crimson are on an absolute roll. Five-game win streak sitting at six and one. Like you said, they got the back nine of the schedule ahead of them. But 
you know, lacrosse definitely, I mean, any sport basically in general, you get a hot team, especially in a team sport. The boys are clicking. Just It makes practice better. It makes the locker room better. The coaches are happy. Like, they were having a blast out there. So this is an exciting Harvard lacrosse team, and obviously they're on our radars. They're on all the other coaches in the country's radar um, right now. Uh, if – if I'm an opposing team, this is one team I do not want to go against right now. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very hot, if you can't tell, uh, Harvard Crimson team. Yeah, I mean, that that come-from-behind victory, you know, any team who's able to, you know, kind of mount a comeback like that in the fourth quarter, uh, especially under, you know, probably cold conditions there. I mean, they're up in they're up in Matt playing against Boston. So, uh, you know, a, a team who's able to, you know, kind of – not quit like that, uh, especially in a game, you know, in March, they're definitely going to be a team that you don't want to play at all in the season, especially not later on closer to May. Uh, moving on from there, we had a game that, uh, so, you know, Rabio, you weren't able to make it out to the Ohio machine tryouts here in Philly on Sunday, uh, but you had other things going on that day. You were live on the scene you were on the sideline motherfucker robbie O had <laughs> sideline access to Rutgers versus syracuse as the scarlet knights take down the orange robbie O, tell us about your day at that game yeah i mean absolutely electric atmosphere uh first of all i can't take all the credit for uh being a little sneaker and uh, getting onto that sideline pass for rucker syracuse uh shout out to uh, a couple of the ruckers alumni lax boys that I played with back in the day, hooking the boy up with a little sideline pass. But, I mean, this was a sellout crowd. I mean, anytime Rutgers has, is playing an ACC team, it's going to be a big game. But when you have Syracuse, who is just an absolute powerhouse um, in the lacrosse community, like there's going to be a crowd showing up. There was 5,000 people, absolutely packed. And, and what a game it was. Awesome atmosphere. Um, and just – the main takeaway from that, so obviously Rutgers came out on top there, fourteen to twelve, uh, real big upset, and 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 they were that was a short week. That was after beating number twelve in the country, Lehigh. So you go from beating Lehigh to beating Syracuse. Rutgers is is back in the mix of things like they never even had that loss. Um, Jules Hennenberg just absolutely spazzing off for six goals. Six and two, eight points to take down the Syracuse Orange men. Uh, great atmosphere, great time, and uh, big win for the Rutgers Knights. Yeah, I mean that's that's back to back losses in the Big Ten for Syracuse. They go down to to Hopkins last, or well, I guess at this point two weekends ago, uh, and then Rutgers last weekend. So you know Syracuse, they're they're a team that you know. They don't quite have the same magic as they had last year. And obviously, you know, you graduate a senior class like they had last year. Obviously, some of that's going to go away. But, you know, so they're sitting at three and three right now. I mean, they've got wins over Binghamton, Virginia, and Army. Uh, you know, the, the Army and Virginia wins, obviously, nothing to, you know, turn your nose up at. But then they've also got losses to Albany, Hopkins, and Rutgers. So, kind of a it's it's gonna be a tough year for Sarah I mean those are all teams that you know if if you get into the tournament in May that's the caliber of team that you're going to be going up against um you know and obviously they have a couple months to get themselves ready for that uh but it it just looks like Syracuse right now when you know when they're playing against competition that you know and Rutgers isn't even necessarily higher competition than them but when they've got to play you know the these top level teams 
uh, and they're not in the carrier dome. I mean, Hop- Hopkins was a loss at home as well, and so was Albany, but it's I mean, it's the main, the main theme right on their that, socials, right which is like their social channels, which which kind of have been bugging me. And, and I get the whole cardiac cues thing, but every single time that they're down at half, like they'll make the caption, like they'll be down and be like, time for the comeback. Like It's, it's just been a constant theme at this point. Uh, I, d- their coaching staff is fantastic, and they have come back in the second half many times. Um, that's why they are cardiac cues, but – they need to figure it out. Obviously, that senior class is gone. and Young bulls are stepping up, and we've seen a ton of huge impact there. But I don't know. Something is just not right for Syracuse, and hopefully they figure it out. They are still 1-0 in ACC play. Uh, they're looking to make it 2-0 uh, this weekend, so uh, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's got to be tough when you don't have uh, Sergio Salcido or Nick Mariano there. I mean, those guys were – in the cage. <laughs> yeah, they they had yeah, Malloy in the cage. Those guys uh, were were heavy on the clutch dean last year. Uh, so I guess it's just going to take a little bit, uh, you know, for them to get that clutch dean back. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for our fast breaks on last week's games. Uh, that's going to bring us right into our man up, man down of the week, where we bring you a team, a player, or anything at all. Uh, you know, we're in the last week of college across that we're either buying stock on or we are selling and we are selling fast. Uh, so I'll, I'll just start us off right, right away. Um, you know, and you mentioned this in the intro, uh, my man up for the week, uh, these football matchups. Uh, so, so you mentioned it in the, uh, in, in the intro there, we had Michigan versus Notre Dame tonight. Again, we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, Michigan, upsetting number four in the country, Notre Dame. I mean, that's usually, you know, that's a game where, you know, it's, it's, you know, an October Saturday, maybe a November Saturday. I don't usually know, you know, when that game would be, uh, but that's a huge college football matchup. Uh, and seeing the big blue come out on top of that one. Uh, unbelievable. Definitely going to shake up the the rankings a little bit. And then later on this weekend, uh, I think this is going to be a Sunday game We've got Ohio State versus Notre Dame. So, I mean, seeing these big football schools get after it, it just really gets, uh, you know, it gets the juices flowing and it really just makes me, it makes me long, not long for the days. I don't necessarily know. I don't know if that's the word. I don't know how to use that word long for the days. It just makes me excited for the days that these big, all these big football schools get into the mix. Um, you know, we're seeing Notre Dame versus Ohio State, Notre Dame versus Michigan. We need to start getting SEC matchups in college across. We need Pac-12 matchups in college across. But right now, my man up is these football matchups. Yeah, I mean, they've been uh, – <laughs> when you get two top caliber schools, and I mean, if, if I'm a kid getting recruited – I was a sophomore, what, 16 years old, not even 15. I mean, that this is this is a huge win for Michigan, and th- this program's only going to get bigger. I mean, these coaches, they show you around. They, they take you into the big house. Like, that's where you're going to want to be on a Saturday afternoon, uh, playing against, like, a, a Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. That's where I want to be every day. Yeah, exactly. And imagine going to school there. I mean, we talked about it with Ty Zanders last week, Jordy. It's coming. Uh, SEC teams are going to start getting lacrosse. ACC is going to start getting lacrosse. Florida State has just been absolutely dominating the MCLA. Uh, for my man up, I am going to be going with – Short stick D middies. Uh, the more and more I watch lacrosse these days, I mean, 
these coaches are trying to expose, they're trying to exploit these short stick D middies who, who don't get enough credit. And for those of you who are very involved in the lacrosse world, not going to say they're a joke, Jordy. What would you call short stick D middies? See, SSDMs to me, um, you know, I, they're, they're just like, they're always that gritty team, that gritty kid on the team who, you know, he, you don't trust him with a pole because he's probably going to go take a penalty out there. Uh, but he also doesn't quite have the stick skills to be out there on offense. Um, but listen, he's, like, he's, he's kind of like that, like six, four kid, the six foot, big stocky football kid who came out of high school, didn't really have the best wall ball skills, but kind of just gave him a stick and let him go. I'll tell you who makes the best SSDM, uh, is, is a nice little, you know, just a, a nice little basketball player. And I'm not talking about, you know, a kid like, you know, who's, who's going to go out there and dunk. I'm obviously talking about the gym rats, uh, who usually find themselves on the basketball bench, but they, they play their heart out on defense. So uh, I think you kind of know the kind of kids that I'm talking about there. Uh, but, you know, basketball players make great uh, short stick D middies. They have excellent footwork. Get low. So, I'm, but I mean, hey, in my ideal world, uh, lacrosse is played with, you know, three attackmen, three offensive middies, and then six short stick D middies on the field because I fucking hate dodging against poles. So I love short stick D middies. So I love your man up here. And yeah, that's my man up. They're hot right now. I was watching the game. Some mid, some short stick D midi absolutely just stood up. Some cocky ass kid who thought, oh, look, I have the short stick. Let me go take him to the rack. No, stood him up, stripped him. Ball's going the other way. That's my oh, man dude. up. Who do you have for your man? To- okay, uh, dude. Up? I mean, I, I was just going to say nothing gets the sideline fired up quite like a short stick D midi oh. takeaway. Yes. No, it gets all the boys jacked up. You know that. And then once he comes to the box, you know he's getting a couple heads. Yeah, I mean, anytime an SSDM has a takeaway, I'm, he's you know he's he's putting that he's loading that shit on YouTube himself, and he's making sure that everybody <laughs> in the world sees that. Uh, but for, he's getting late. Yeah, he's for sure getting late that night. Uh, for for my man down though, um, dude. Again, I feel like I have this as my man down like every other week. Um, and I mean, the weather in March always ridiculous even more so right now especially in the northeast but my man down is the fact that lacrosse is considered a spring sport because it's absolute bullshit it is not a spring sport it is a winter sport through and through where you maybe get to play in spring if you make it to memorial day weekend i mean that's like the only time that we we have to play lacrosse in spring where it's not freezing cold off where you where you're not freezing your dick off out there um you know, obviously the nor you know we're we're dealing with another nor'easter here. Uh, you know, as a high school coach myself, uh, we haven't had practice in the last couple of days. I'm sure that all these other college teams they're kind of dealing with all this bullshit. They're either having to you know shovel the turf or they're practicing inside. So the fact that people keep calling lacrosse a spring sport, it's a crock of shit. Uh, and and hey, listen, this kind of goes to Ian McKay's point where the NCAA needs to start getting involved with box lacrosse because guess what games don't get snowed out? Guess what practices don't get snowed out? Box lacks. You're indoors. You don't have to deal with the snow. So, uh, hey, NCAA, if you don't want to have games keep getting postponed or if you don't want to have to keep canceling shit, let's just go to box. Yeah, I mean, coaches have 
argued over this like every single year that when all the coaches get together to have the meeting this is one of their things if are they going to push back the schedule i mean like you said it's miserable out your turf is completely trashed all the white balls are getting lost in the snow and also most importantly like on the on the crease dive we always say load high of the day you die fuck the fundamentals and then if you look good you feel good you play good Jordy, it is very, very hard to look good when it's freezing. Yeah, I mean, you you, you go full tights. I mean, the tights the tights look I'm I'm very much in on. But you know, we saw a picture earlier today. Uh, you know, I don't know if this was because of the cold or if they were just trying to try out something new. But the Yale defenders had like these like weird Bane masks on. I think it was more to like cut off their like peripheral vision or whatever. But it you know you're definitely wearing all this cold gear. Uh, it's definitely tough to to stay, uh, you know, to stay swaggy out there. And again, yeah, losing those white balls is definitely shit. I mean, uh, you know, Rabio, you were a D1 kid, so you guys probably had, you know, fresh balls out the ass. But as a D3 grinder myself, I mean, we didn't have buckets of balls on end. So when you're doing when you're doing a ball hunt at the end of practice in the snow and you can't find shit and you have sprints coming up because you have, you know. 20 balls that still have to thaw out from the snow that won't thaw out until, you know, end of April. It's uh, it's, it's definitely tough out there, but who do you got for your man down of the week? For my man down of the week. And, and I hate to say it, it it's going to be the Vermont catamounts and, and hear me out. It is strictly due to their strength of schedule. Um, you know, they were undefeated. Uh, they were playing great, but I mean, they're, Best out of conference win right now is 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 against Jacksonville, who who is three and four. Um, they beat Furman team that's one and six. So their RPI is just going to be low based on who they played. Um, so going into so all right, they they coming off a loss to Albany, and, and my only problem is, and we talked about this in our first couple episodes when we were talking about Vermont and just the conference that they play in. They're always going to have. Albany uh, on the side of the highway. So I, I'm not on the coaching committee, but it, the only I mean, they just got smacked 21-5. I mean, if you lose to Albany, like that's a different story. 21-5 is like a horrible look. Not not good at all. And I feel like the only way that they can get make it out is if they get like an American East uh, at large bid and win that conference, or they clean up the rest of their schedule um, and they hopefully just have a ton of wins attached to their schedule in the committee and they play Albany very hard in a tournament and they can, uh, or the coaches committee can just see them have a lot of wins attached to them and uh, let them in see the team they were. But I was, uh, you know, these are, we're bullish and bearish here. So my man down is going to be Vermont just due to their odds. It's not looking good. Strength of schedule. We've seen it time after time. These incredible teams just getting, on the borderline getting stiffed uh, come voting time due to strength of schedule. So that will be my man down. And I, and I hate to say it because I'm a huge Catamount fan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, man, because you know, there, there are only those 16 teams that get into the tournament every year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that the, the NCAA tournament, for lacrosse needs to expand a little bit. I'm not saying that it goes to 32 teams because, listen, let's be realistic here. There aren't 32 great teams in the nation. Uh, lacrosse just isn't at that point yet. Um, but I do think that, you know, maybe if, if we go to like 20 teams and give the top four a bye, uh, then Vermont for me is definitely in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was. 
it was disappointing because, you know, like we mentioned during the fast break segment, you know, we, we were all looking forward to a great undefeated matchup between Albany and Vermont. That one just got away, uh, you know, way too easily for Albany. Um, you know, obviously probably a few nerves there for the Catamounts going up against the number one team in the nation. Uh, but yeah, tough one for Vermont. Uh, you know, I think that they'll bounce back. They'll, they'll stay strong for the rest of the season, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there when you're, uh, you know, when you're kind of putting that bracket together and you're looking at those bubble teams, Vermont is, uh, you know, they're going to be there on the bubble for sure. I don't know if they're necessarily a shoe in, uh, but with that, so that'll wrap up our man up, man down segment of the week. That's going to bring us right into our interview with Francis from Barstool, former Harvard Crimson lacrosse player, former high school All-American out of Maine. So we're going to hear all about Francis's lacrosse career and uh, let's bring him on the line right now. We are now blessed to be with the presence of a man of many, many, many talents at Barstool Sports. Uh, he's a blogger. He's a radio host on Sirius XM with Barstool Breakfast. He is, uh, he's got his own video series out on Barstool, the Barstool Variety Hour. It is a, it's a hit series. Hilarious shit as always. And he's also probably the best athlete within Barstool Sports. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that you're, uh, you, you have a few more accolades that you would like me to add to this introduction, but I'll let you do that yourself. We've got Barstool Francis on the line. Francis, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Being talented is my second best sport, actually. What is going on, Francis? Happy Wednesday to you. Happy snow day. I know you're at the headquarters right now. Um, I don't... I don't know if uh, people know this by now, people that have been following you, following Barstool Sports, but uh, yeah, you're a Division I athlete. You played lacrosse at Harvard. That's right. I think most people know that. <laughs> I've definitely made sure they know. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up a sec. Wait, For, you, you went to Harvard? That's right. Uh, it, it was founded in 1636, and it is considered in most parts of the world to be the most prestigious university, and I went there. That's where I went. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> That's it's truly, truly remarkable. Um, but yes, I mean the Harvard Crimson—they're off to uh, just a fire heart, uh, fire hot start to the season. They're six and one. We'll talk more about the the 2018 team a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, but again, yeah, most people know that Francis has played lacrosse at Harvard. Um, you know, and I think uh, you know, I, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if many people know though. Uh, that you were, you know, such a, a great, you know, lax recruit coming out of the state of Maine. Um, so, I mean, a high school All-American from Maine, make your way up to Harvard to to play D1. So, Francis, I mean, I th- I, you, you've definitely got both of us beat. Now, Robbie was an All-American, but you've got me beat. So, let's, uh, you know, let's talk about that illustrious, illustrious lacrosse career of yours to go along with the illustrious other careers that you're currently working with. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, um, you know, I grew up in Maine and uh, Maine's not like a hotbed for lacrosse, but it's definitely within the New England lacrosse scene. Um, My high school that I went to was Yarmouth High School and Yarmouth, while I was there, had had a very good program, actually. Uh, There was a guy uh, in the class ahead of me, Zach Caldwell, who was an all-american and then he went to brown 
And I think he was like second team all Ivy as a sophomore, but then he quit uh, his junior year. But like he scored when I was a freshman, we went to play Brown. He scored four goals against us as a midi. Uh, he was unbelievable. Um, and then ahead of him was Chris Hitchborn, uh, who was a senior when I was a sophomore. And Chris went to Delaware and started as a freshman on at attack on that team that went to the final four. Um, so my, I guess my, we didn't actually win the state championship my sophomore year, but we did win it my junior year. Uh, or maybe we, yeah, that's right. We only won it my junior year, but then my senior year, we should have won and we ended up losing in the semifinals to our arch rivals, North Yarmouth Academy, which was the private school in the same town as Yarmouth, my high school. And then we, and then they, they won the state championship game by like 15 goals. So that was the real state championship was our game. <laughs> and we lost and I, we lost by a goal and I ball with two minutes left. We were up a goal and I was running and I had the thought that I could run the ball. Nobody could take the ball away from me. I knew that. <laughs> uh, I, the clock. Yeah. I was the best player in the state. I was bigger than everyone else. I was faster than everyone else and nobody could take the ball away from me. But there was this attackman that we had, Jack Gross, standing on the crease, wide open. I'm, uh, they had they had doubled the ball, so there was nobody on Jack Gross. And I remember thinking, there he is. He's impossibly open. It would almost be insane of me not to pass him the ball. So I passed Jack Gross the ball. I hit him right in his in the pocket. Perfect pass. <laughs> And he panicked and quick-sticked it right into the goalie's chest. The goalie picked it up. They cleared it. They scored. And then they scored again off the next face-off. And we lost. And I've never forgiven Jack Gross for doing that. Do you talk to Jack Gross to this day? Have you guys had contact? No, I, I would never <laughs> talk to Jack Gross again. And, in fact, I hope, I hope people <laughs> listening to this show who know Jack Gross bring up the fact that he ruined – uh, many nights of sleep for me and is probably the single single person that like if I could go back and hand a condom to someone's father <laughs> right before they conceive that child, I would give it to Jack Gross's father and be like, you should use this because the son you're about to make uh, ends up losing the, the state championship for me in the future. <laughs> Jack Rose should have been a blowjob. Yes, he should have ended up. He should have ended up on on somebody instead of you know in somebody. So that's really uh, just like that. You know, that's really what it is. And and thanks to his. But then they they won the his team the next year won the state championship. Oh, he was a year younger. Oh, dude, how how fucking furious were you on social media when the kids putting up pictures with the trophy after he? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They they went on to win the next year. And uh, and I almost felt like he should have given me his trophy, um, <laughs> because it was it was my fucking state. Cha- I've never forgotten it, and I will always hate. <laughs> Even when people say the word "oh, gross," I'm like, no, that's a trigger word for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, poor poor Jack Rose. That kid. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully, he's listening to the podcast, and hopefully, he knows what a bag of shit he is. <laughs> 
but you find ways to, to move on and you just so happen to move on to Harvard University where you went to go play lacrosse. So, you know, quick question, you know, when you were being recruited, um, you know, were there other schools involved in the mix there? You know, were there maybe teams that were a little bit better lacrosse wise, but not, you know, as good academic wise? You know, what, uh, you know, what led you to Harvard and what kind of other opportunities were out there for a kid like yourself? Yeah, I mean, my my recruiting process was interesting. I my sophomore summer, I, I didn't know coming out of Maine if I would be able to play Division One lacrosse because we weren't like Long Island or Maryland where you're surrounded by that all the time, and um, you watch older players kind of go off to these schools. So it was a, it was definitely an unknown for me. I had thought originally that maybe I would uh, play D3 uh, at like a place like Amherst or NESCAC school. Bowden, Colby, and Bates were all very close to my house. So we used to go uh, watch games there. My dad played lacrosse at Amherst himself. Um, so I was kind of more familiar with that world. And then my sophomore summer, after my sophomore year, I went to um, a camp called Elite 180, which was at Keene State College in New Hampshire. And on the very first night of the camp, we had one game with our like brand new team. We didn't know each other at all. And the, I, there was, there were a couple coaches on the sideline. I didn't know who, and I had been told by like a friend of mine or an older player who had gotten recruited that the one thing he had done in his recruiting process that helped was that when he was at these camps, he was the most vocal guy on the field. Like he was always yelling out slides and, and, you know, kind of communicating more than everyone. And it was a great way to just make yourself get noticed um, beyond just your level of play or whatever. And I remember there was a specific play in that first game where the other team had the ball, they were moving it around the horn and I like jumped out and intercepted a pass. And I was running down the field on a fast break with the ball in my stick. And at half field, I started screaming fast break, fast break, set it up. Even though none of the other guys knew what the fuck I was talking about. Like we didn't have a play. We didn't, we didn't know each other at all, but because I had, I was yelling it so much, the attack win like hustled into the L formation or whatever for fast breaks. I drew the first defender, pass it over to the guy on the left and he scored a goal. And after the game, I being the, uh, outward, you know, sort of like uh, extroverted guy that I am, I saw a coach on the sideline with a clipboard. I didn't know where he was from. And I went up to him uh, and I said, hello, uh, are you a coach? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, where are you from? And he goes, Harvard. And it was the head lacrosse coach at Harvard, a guy named Scott Anderson, who'd been coaching there for 30 years. And I went, oh my goodness, like, wow, you know. And he was like, which number were you? And I said, I was number 205 or whatever on our penny. And he goes, wow, you're a very good athlete. Like he immediately knew who I was. And I think it was because of how loud I was on the field. And yeah, we like, we had a, we had a quick a conversation and he said that they, they do this, uh, this junior day in December um, this was, that camp was of course in the summer, but that they do this big junior day for their, their top recruits. And that he immediately invited me to it. And I put myself on his radar and 
And then later, and like, and that was like the kind of the beginning of the courtship where that was the first college lacrosse coach that I talked to. And it was the first time that I realized like, oh man, maybe I can, maybe I can play at the division one level. Maybe I can use lacrosse to help me get into a very good school. And later that night we were back in like the dorms and like they're like these co- one coach came out to give us like kind of a, a talk about the recruiting process. And it was the Dartmouth coach. And as we were walking out of the talk afterwards, he, we were all like passing him and he grabbed me and he was like, Hey, I want to talk to you. And somehow he knew who I was and he had seen the same game. And then he talked to me and that started the courtship with Dartmouth. And I remember calling my parents that night and being like, and they were like, how did it go today? And I was like, honestly, I think Harvard and Dartmouth are really interested in me. And they were like, what? (laughs) Because there weren't that many D1 schools at this camp. It wasn't like, you know, Duke wasn't there. All the top schools weren't there. But there were some, uh, there were some Ivy schools. And then there were a lot of D3 schools. And that was like the only conversation that I had. I mean, you know, that with the division one schools. And then because of that camp, I ended up getting in and how I did there. um, I ended up getting invited to uh, blue chip, which was Jake Jake Reed's blue chip camp at UMBC the junior summer. So that was a year later. And that at the time was the top, uh, camp in the country. That was the top recruiting camp. It was like the best 110 players in the country, supposed to be at least. And um, that, if you got invited to that, you it basically meant you were going Division One. Uh, and I had a I had a very good season my junior year, and then I went to that camp. And throughout my junior year, you know, I had talked to Harvard, I had talked to other you know other Ivy League schools, but it was really like. It was like Harvard, Dartmouth, and Brown were the three through my junior year that I was like really talking to a lot. Uh, Brown, especially because this guy on my team, Zach Caldwell, who was going there, they had become aware of me because of him. And they had come to one of our games and he and I played on a a line together. And we were like these two huge middies kind of just dominating main lacrosse. And... My junior summer, I went to Blue Chip in like June, I think. And it was like four days and I played very well. Um, The team I was on at Blue Chip won every single game. We didn't lose a game. And Billy Bitter was on my team. He was an attackman. Uh, He ended up going to UNC, first team All-American. He was the best player like I've ever played with, I think. Um we had some real studs. Oh, my roommate uh, was a midi who ended up going to UVA. And I remember he's from Rhode Island. I can't even remember what his fucking name was. But he, at the time, we were like talking. I remember in the room and he was like, you know, are you getting calls from anyone? And I was like, yeah, I've been talking to Harvard and Dartmouth a lot. And he was like, I was like, what about you? And he was like, dude, I don't get anything. I haven't heard from anybody. I got this weird like pamphlet from UVA, weirdly, but that's it. I don't expect I'll go D1. 
The next time I saw him, he scored five goals in the national championship for UVA, and they won. They won like 9-8 or something, and he was the MVP. Like, I can't believe I can't remember what his name was. You guys will have to do some research. But um, And so, sorry, just to finish this, I know I've been talking for like eight straight minutes, but I do blue chip, and after blue chip, uh, it was like in mid-June, and July 1st of your junior summer is the first day, I think, where coaches are allowed to start calling you. And I woke up on July 1st because my mom at 7.30 in the morning brought the phone into my room and it was Dave Petromala, who was the head coach of Johns Hopkins. And they had just won the national championship, I'm pretty sure, or like either that or the year before. And Petro's on the line and he's like, we want you. We really like you, and I want you to convert to be a defenseman. <laughs> and Petro wanted me to convert. He didn't want me to play MIDI anymore. He wanted, He saw me as a defender, a defenseman, uh, and he has a history of doing this, of converting like big middies into defensemen. He was a defenseman himself. He wanted me to put, but he wanted me to play long pole. He like saw me as a long pole. And uh, and then he ended up like writing me a bunch of letters. He was super cool. The next phone call was like uh, was Duke, and I was getting scholarship offers. I was like Duke, you know, uh, Hopkins, UVA, um, Cornell, you know, all the Ivies, Albany, Notre Dame, like everybody got in the mix because I had played well at Blue Chip, and also because I was bigger and faster than everyone else. I didn't have like the stick skills. I think a lot of people saw me as like a very good athlete that they could mold into the type of lacrosse player that they wanted. I was six, three in, uh, in high school. So yeah. So I was a big guy as a lacrosse player. And, uh, in the end, you know, it was really just like, I think Harvard called me at like 3 PM that day. And I had spoken to him and he was like, yeah, I mean, we're good to go if you are. Because by that point, I had good SAT scores. Um, my grades were good. My, my grades were very good. My, my scores were very good. So he was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. You're, you're going to get in. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's, let's go. <laughs> um, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I did end up like calling a lot of the coaches back um, – but it was it was very flattering. I remember that was like one of the coolest days of my life. It was like Christmas morning, you know. It was like Santa kept calling in different forms, um, and I just it was really cool to to be noticed on that national level. You know, it's kind of like what you see with like football recruits, basketball recruits. You you know, you got all kinds of people calling and letters and all that shit, and it just. It was cool. So in the end, I always wanted to go to the best school I possibly could. And if I could use lacrosse to help me get there, get in there, um, if once Harvard became a reality, it was like I, – I also loved the campus. I liked the team. I did official visits at Harvard, Dartmouth, and Brown. And it was – and Harvard was my favorite group of people. I loved the coach uh, and I loved the campus. It was only two hours from my house. So – 
that was it. That was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. So lacrosse propelled you to get into Harvard. You know, you graduated from Harvard. No one could ever take that uh, degree away from you. You know, has the sport of lacrosse itself helped mold you into the person of many talents that you are today? I think, uh, I think definitely. Um, it was definitely the sport that I probably spent the most time playing. Um, and I, I was a big soccer player too. Um, I was recruited to play soccer a little bit, not as much, but I never did like the camps or the, you know, ODP or any of that shit that I would have needed to do to be recruited for soccer. Um, but my plan going into Harvard, once I went there was to walk onto the soccer team and I actually got asked to do that. And then the new coach that came in Tillman, uh, he had been hired right before. So, so that's the other thing, like, like a month before I got to Harvard, they fired the coach who had recruited me and had been there for 30 years that I loved. And they hired John Tillman who had been at the Naval Academy for 10 years and I didn't know him at all. And he came in and right off the bat, he kind of like set down a, a much more almost militaristic uh, sense of, of how we were going to go about things and program. And then the assistant, Chris Wojcik, who I had also really liked, left. And Tillman brought in Kevin Warren, uh, who knew, I think is the head coach of Georgetown now. Tillman is now the head coach, of course, of Maryland. Um and right off the bat, it was a very different culture from what I had expected I would get myself into by going to Harvard. And I actually hated it. I, I was miserable. Uh, my freshman year, I, it was so much more intense, so much more about like winning a national championship. And I was like, guys, we're at Harvard. We're, we're not going to win a national championship because – there's too much other shit going on. Like people have to do their homework and stuff. This isn't why I came here. Um, and I, I really didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, so no, you ahead. guys, I mean, you you had, you know, a, a few good seasons there during your time there. Um, you know, and this is kind of something that I've always had. You know, I, obviously I haven't had the Ivy League experience, but, you know, something that, you know, you just brought up a good point there. It's something that I always kind of think about, you know, with these Ivy League teams, um, that kind of make deep runs into into May. I mean, people don't really kind of take into consideration like the the workload that you guys have, um, you know, at these schools. Um, you know, and especially you know when the when the tournament's going in May, you know that's that's finals week for you know for pretty much everyone around the country. But I feel like finals week is probably a little bit uh, you know a little bit more involved at a, at a place like you know Harvard than some of the other schools. So you know so. I, I, I guess, can you talk to us about, you know, kind of that, that balance between lacrosse and schoolwork at Ivy League schools that, you know, maybe not everybody in the nation has to deal with? Yeah. So first of all, the Ivy League really restricts, uh, especially how much practice and stuff you can do in the off season. So like in the fall, we weren't allowed to start organized practices with coaches until like October or something. Whereas Every other school that we ended up playing out of conference was practicing five days a week starting in September. Um, and we are only allowed to have 12 organized coaches practices uh, throughout the fall. And so it's like you do a, a coaches practice Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Typically, we would have like 
captain's practices like either Tuesday or Thursday. And then you, you lift into condition in the mornings, um, usually on the other, on like Tuesday and Thursday as well. So, uh, it, it's still a lot. Uh, it's, it's definitely more than like what you would see at the division three level, but like, I liked the fact that the Ivy League restricted how much we were allowed to do in the offseason. And then we weren't they weren't really allowed to touch us. The coaches weren't allowed to touch us until February 1st. And that was a that was a bigger sort of impediment to the team's progress because every, you know, all the big SEC school or not the, uh, you know, the ACC schools, they're doing organized practices starting like January 1st. So they have like a whole month ahead of us to get their shit together and get in shape. And, you know, by the time you're, we had our first out of conference game playing a team like, I don't know, Syracuse or something. They, they, not only were they like three games into their season, but they were a month and a half in, um, to practices. So we would typically get stomped on by, by a team like that. But the, to, to the academic element of it, uh, I remember, we were playing in the Ivy League tournament my senior year. We were we had to go up to Cornell because they were the number one seed, and um, there were finals happening. And I had gotten to a point academically where I was I was much more inclined to take classes that had a lot of papers that you needed to write as opposed to having final exams. So I I luckily didn't have to deal with that. But I remember like half the team had to take finals while we were in the hotel at Cornell. So Harvard sent a proctor, like flew a proctor to Cornell <laughs> and had they had them like in the fucking restaurant of the hotel handing out exams. And it was so strict and so intense. And our guys were all in like sweats, you know, and like – exhausted from the fact that we had played Penn the night before and they had to wake up the next morning and it was like, couldn't we have bumped, couldn't we have let the team wait until they were back in Cambridge five days later to take the exams? Not according to Harvard because why would they give special treatment to athletes? And I liked that. I liked that Harvard was like, no, no, fuck that noise. This is an academic institution We'll make it work for you guys, even if it's going to suck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so that, that's pretty much exactly what I thought it was going to be like. But actually, actually hearing the story of it is still pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, the fact that, you know, the Ivy League doesn't get to start until Feb 1. Um, you know, and, and we'll see, you know, the Ivy League schools kind of come out of the gate a little bit slower because of that fact. Um, you know, I know that the, the Harvard team this year, you know, early on in the season, a little hiccup there to Holy Cross, a one goal loss. But right now, I mean, so, so your old coach, Chris Wojcik and the Harvard Crimson, I mean, they're off to a fire start. They're six and one right now after a huge come from behind victory uh, in overtime against BU last night. Uh, so it's, it's Wednesday right now when we're recording. So that was a Tuesday night game. Um, I mean, this kid, Morgan Cheek is lighting shit up right now. He had a few huge goals in that game. He's got like 36 points on the season right now. Um, you know, what, what do you, uh, do you get a chance to kind of like keep stay like not involved, but at least, you know, kind of watch the team, you know, through the years since you've been graduated, um, you know, do, do you keep them on your radar? Do you got too much stuff going on right now? 
No, yeah, I, I absolutely uh, keep up with the program and uh, I'm very sort of vigilant about how they're doing. Um, so interestingly, you know, I mentioned that the well, Tillman was our coach my, my freshman through junior year. And then in the summer after my junior year, he ended up getting uh, – well, he, got, he went over to Maryland. And then they rehired Chris Wojcik to be the head coach uh, who had been the assistant who had recruited me. And um, so Wojcik came back and then um, – why did I bring this up? Oh, because Wojcik had played at Harvard himself. He was like a, a legend, um, All-American I think and – he was a two-sport all-Ivy. He was a soccer stud as well. And he is still the head coach now, and he does a tremendous job of keeping the alumni in the loop. And he writes a like a super thorough game write-up email to the entire alumni network after every single game. And gives us all kinds of updates throughout the year about like incoming recruiting classes and like fundraisers and where we can, you know, watch games and sets up tailgates and whenever they come play Princeton, because he knows it's near New York, where a lot of the alums are. And uh, so, yeah, so I always read those emails. I reach out to, to Coach Wojcik a lot. Um, this kid, Morgan Sheik, is unbelievable. He scored 10 goals in a game in the Ivy League tournament last year, uh, which I think is the single game record for Harvard. Um, and he... He's, his mother, believe it or not, is like the greatest athlete ever to play sports at Harvard. She was a three-sport first-team All-Ivy in field hockey, like hockey and lacrosse. And I think she might have been an Olympian, and she has all these records. So it kind of makes sense that Morgan would be as good as he is. And uh, he seems to have a penchant for putting up crazy numbers. And um, this was definitely a, 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 major, a major game for him. 19-18, it looks like they beat BU in overtime. Uh, that's a trap game, you know, because it's a Tuesday. And they're playing in a, a very close rival in BU. But uh, I'm glad they pulled it out. They're 6-1 heading into the real meat of their schedule. I think they've got Albany coming up soon. So, uh, will be very interesting to see. Yeah, and then, uh, and then obviously it changes over the years. But at your time at Harvard, who was like the biggest rival for you guys in the Ivy League? Like the one that you guys circled every single year. You're like, okay, we we hate them. They hate us. You know, when I was there, uh, Cornell was really tough to play. Um, we didn't like hate them. But uh, we dreaded playing them because they were so fucking good. And Rob Pinnell was there the whole time. He's a good friend of mine now. Um, but Rob was there in the whole time I was playing, and he would just take <laughs> over games. I mean, he, you know, you, if you were lucky, I remember one game we were like, all right, we're basically going to double Rob Pinnell every time he gets the ball. And at the end of the game, you know, he only had like he, he was like three goals and zero assists, and we were like, "Wow, what a what a what an amazing accomplishment!" We shut him down. And meanwhile, what that meant was like this other guy, I think his name was Joe Lang, ended up having like nine goals. So uh, we never beat them, 
while I was playing at Harvard, uh, we had a game. One game my senior year was at Harvard. I think we lost 13-12. We were up like 9-6. No, we were up like 12-10 with like two minutes to go, and they scored three goals and beat us. But they were just incredible. And, uh, you know, they had Max Seabald and they had Joe Belucos and uh, and then Rob Pinnell. They were just – they always seemed to have like what, like two or three of the best players in the country. Um, obviously lost in the national championship game in a heartbreaking game to Syracuse when I was a freshman or sophomore. Uh, and that was the game we always were like, ah, fuck. Especially if we had to go up there because it was so far away. Well, uh, tell me real quick, is, is, you know, is, is the Ivy League, are you kind of like, uh, you know, so when you see a team like Cornell go on a run to the national championship, like obviously you have battles with, those, with that team. Like obviously it's, it's a team that you, you know, would love to beat down yourself. But when they make it to the national championship game, are you guys rooting for the Ivy or are you being like these bastards, like fuck these bastards if they get a ring? No, we're absolutely rooting for them. Uh, I, I was so in favor. You know, Yale has made some deep runs in, in, a, in the recent years. You know, it's, it's a very friendly rivalry. And I think the Ivy League players, for what, for what I said earlier, which is that like I often, we often feel a little bit uh, held back by the fact that we don't have the same practice schedules or allowances uh, as per the Ivy League. So we know how much harder it is for an Ivy League team to get far in the tournament. And, you know, I think that makes it so that if a team does break through and, and starts making a run, you know, you're definitely rooting for them. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, like you said, you, you know, now you're you're friendly with Pinnell. So I, I think that all lacrosse players um, kind of have, you know, this all lacrosse. Yeah, all lacrosse players end up being boys at, at the end of it anyway. But I think you know, definitely with you know, I think inner Ivy, you know, with all the stuff you guys go through. Um, you know, not go through in the sense that you guys have like too much like hardships or anything, but like you guys kind of share a similar, you know, story through your four years. So it's, it's good to hear that all you guys, uh, stay close afterwards. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely a tough, tough stretch to end Harvard season with coming up. I mean, the final five games here, you guys are looking at Albany. Uh, then you got a big one against Cornell with Jeff Teat there leading the way, kind of taking over for Rob Pinnell's one of the best attackmen in the country. Then, uh, then your boys come here to my homeland in Philly. Uh, you play against Penn, then you got Princeton and Yale. So it's it's definitely going to be uh, you know a tough stretch heading into you know the the postseason, hopefully for Harvard. But uh, like like you said, I mean, you guys got some great players on the field right there. Just looking at some stats right now, like obviously Morgan Cheek lighting it up. Got a Philly kid and Kyle Anderson doing well too. So you know what? Uh, you know, I, I know that you're you're not necessarily in a position to set goals for the 2018 Harvard team, but you know what? What would you? Uh, obviously, a national championship or something would be great. But what would you like to realistically see uh, out of this Harvard program this year? You know, I think yeah, I think uh, an Ivy League championship is always the first goal, um, and they've beaten Brown already. But I don't know exactly who is really good in the Ivy League this year. Uh, typically, these days, it's Yale, it's Princeton. Um, so I, I think that's the first and foremost goal is, is can Harvard win an Ivy League championship in the regular season, right? 
And then they should always make it to the Ivy League tournament because four of the seven teams go. And if they win that, they get an automatic berth. Making the tournament is a huge goal. Um, And I think realistically, like, that is a great goal and a realistic goal for for Harvard lacrosse is to make the tournament. I don't know if the team is in a place right now to, like, make a run for the final four. Um, but to, to, to get through and get a, get a spot, whether it's at large or by winning the Ivy league tournament, uh, that's a very successful te- season for Harvard lacrosse. Hopefully you don't have Jack gross on the crease to mess that up for them for the Ivy league championship. So yeah. off that bad, I'm pretty sure he's washing dishes somewhere. So I'm not worried about him. <laughs> Francis, quick question for you. You finished up Harvard 2011. When was the last time you've picked up a lacrosse stick? Oh, good question. I I went to I did go to war at the shore like one year afterwards, and I I played in a little bit of men's league in the year afterwards. But honestly, like the game got it was was like too rough for my body, um, and I was pretty broken down. I had a couple bad concussions in college, and I I really just said I don't need lacrosse to stay in shape anymore. Like there's a lot more safety in just going to the gym and like (laughs) lifting on my own terms or, or playing basketball uh, was a sport that I, that I've been playing a lot of. So I have not picked up a lacrosse stick in probably like four years, but under the right circumstances with the right gear, you could probably convince me to, to get back on the field. That's fair enough. And until, and, and until then, now you're on the quest to join the 1,000-pound club. So that, that, oh, yeah. that is something. Absolutely. And I, I expect to do so in the, in the coming month or so. So keep an eye out. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep an eye out for that. We'll also keep an eye out on everything else that you're doing at Barstool. Like we said, I mean, you're, you're, you've got a ton of stuff going on right now. You're working pretty much all hours of the day with the, with the morning show on SiriusXM. You blog your ass off all day. Uh, and then, you know, working on your videos as well. So you've got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, and, you know, as, as a lacrosse podcast, it's, it's great to have, you know, one of the, you know, I'm, I don't want to pump your tires up too much because it seems like you've got, you know, a lot of really great stuff going for you and you don't re- necessarily need it. But it's, it's good to have, you know, one of the more, you know, one of the brighter stars at Barstool right now uh, as, as a lax rat. So it's, it's good to have one of our own getting a ton of the spotlight. So, uh, Francis, I know that you're real busy. You got plenty of other stuff you got to get to right now, but you know, thanks a lot for hopping on. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if any, uh, you know, if, if any, you know, equipment, uh, companies out there looking to, uh, you know, kind of get a, uh, get a barstool team fielded for the summer, let, uh, let Francis know. Cause he needs some gear, but Francis, thanks a lot, buddy for hopping on. And we'll definitely talk to you. Thank you, Francis. My pleasure guys. Thanks so much for having me, uh, go Harvard and, uh, keep up the good work. All right, and thank you again to Francis for joining the podcast. Uh, You know, like we mentioned plenty of times before, he's got a ton of stuff going on within Barstool right now. I mean, he's all over the place from, you know, the very beginning of the day with the radio show to, you know, everything else that he's doing with blogging and videos and shit like that. So, uh, you know, it's always great to have Lax guys right there on the ground floor of Barstool Sports. Uh, but enough about that son of a bitch. Let's talk about this weekend slate 
of games in college across. Uh, you know, again, who, who knows, you know, how these games are going to go with, you know, how the weather's been this week. Uh, but, you know, we've definitely got a good one lined up here. Uh, and, you know, headlining the whole thing, we've got the rematch of the 2016 National Championship game. We've got the Maryland Terps taking on the UNC Tar Heels. This game is, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be at a neutral site if, if I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't know where it's going to be. I haven't really looked into that one yet, but we've got the 6-1 and one Terps taking on the 6-3 and three Tar Heels. Uh, listen, again, I, I don't want to be too disrespectful to UNC. I mean, I'm sure that they have great kids on the team. Uh, they're great kids, you know, who, you know, great guys who have been alumni with that squad. We're definitely looking to bring on some of those guys, uh, you know, big fan of Sankey. Uh, so I don't want to dig into UNC too much, but we've been saying it pretty much every single show so far this season that UNC is a fake good team. Uh, so with Maryland, with the reigning champs taking on UNC, a team who's lost, you know, three in their last, however many, maybe three, maybe four. Uh, I mean, this one is going to be another tough one for UNC. Listen, they're, they're a bunch of bastards though. This could be, you know, this could be upset alert for the Terps. You never know what you're going to get out of this UNC team, but I think Maryland is just way too good this year. They're way too solid, pretty much on all areas of the field for, uh, for UNC to get it, you know, to get themselves out of this slump. So what, Rabia, what do you got on this game? Yeah, I mean, you you kind of just said it best right there. You don't know which UNC team is going to show up. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been harping on the fact that, you know, they, they are a very good they're, – they're a fake good team, and, and they were undefeated, and we couldn't discredit that at 6-0. and But then they've gone on this three-game losing streak, and you're kind of seeing their true colors come out as they get into the meat of the season – but as we know, in Division One lacrosse, it's in, in conference play across the league, anything goes, any given Sunday mentality. But it is a different animal when you get down to ACC lacrosse. Um, my biggest thing for UNC is just Timmy Kelly has just gone absolutely mil- missing on a milk jug. Um, he's been out of the lineup, uh, possibly due to injury. No one really knows what's going on. But um, him being out is kind of attributed to their losing streak. But yeah, it's a which team will show up. Is it going to be the one that went 6-0 and or the one that went down to Long Island playing the Hofstra Pride to go down 6-0? So uh, you don't know with this team. As far as Maryland goes, like you said, across the board from offense to defense, they look very, very solid. Uh, only issue with them is depth, and that kind of came towards the end. We saw that in the Albany game when they uh, kind of blew that 8-3 lead there. Uh, people forget the Warriors blew a 3-1. But I actually read this fact on Baltimore Sun, right? This very interesting stat, and I hope I can say it right. When – okay, so they have gone down in – so despite Maryland's record being very, very good this year, despite the one lost to Albany, they have scored – Less goals than their opponent in the first, second, third, fourth quarter as they go down. Am I saying so? Like as the quarters go down, that doesn't make any sense at all to me right now. But but at the same time, it makes all of the sense. As the quarters go down, they score less, and then the other team scores more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so they start hot, but they exactly. But they start okay. So, all right, yeah, that I mean that 
that put my mind in a pretzel right there yeah. for sure. But hey, listen, listen though, it that, like that's not a good stat to have no, though. Not I mean, at all. If you know, especially as we're getting into the thick of a lot of team schedules. I mean, if you're a team that you know you're not finishing strong, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, like all these teams are going to start finding their grooves eventually. You know, the more that they're on the field, the more that they're practicing and shit like that, teams are going to start finding their way. Uh, so, if, I mean, if you're a team that starts, you know, trailing off after a huge start, definitely not going to be good for you. Um, and I mean, listen, we, we've been harping on UNC, you know, pretty much. So we're episode nine now. So this is probably nine for nine episodes that we've been harping on UNC not being that great. But listen, I mean, they're still an ACC team. They're still one of the better teams in the, you know, I, they're not a top five. They're not a top 10. They're not a top 15. I don't even know if they're a top 20 team in the country right now. But there's still, you know, the, a program that's been there before. And for a program like UNC, I don't know if they lose four in a row. With that being said, my obviously my my pick is still going to be. I still got Maryland coming out on top of this one. I don't care, you know, what the spread is. I think, you know, Maryland comes out on this one. But listen, it that's going to be a dogfight because you got UNC who's UNC is desperate for a win. They've lost three in a row. They're desperate for a win. Um and uh, shit, man, Robbie, you might have just talked me into UNC with that stat right there that I don't even understand, <laughs> dude. I, do do uh, do you mind if I hop on that also? I know I know I'm not not the best with the picks here. I uh, haven't had the best track record, but but my time's coming, boys. Dude, Coach Bresci has has been there before. And my apologies, guys. Before I was calling this an ACC matchup, Maryland is not in the ACC play. That being said, um. I don't know. I, I I really like I like UNC here. I think it's really hard to lose four straight when you're uh, the UNC Tar Heels. That just doesn't really happen. Yeah, I I'm still staying with Maryland just because I, I I'm not I'm not a flip flopper like you. I have a backbone, Robbie. I'm not gonna <laughs> flip flop on my picks. Uh, but it's it's, <laughs> but it's definitely going to be a tight one. Uh, moving on to another tight one. So you know, I don't care who you are, Maryland versus UNC. I mean, that's an ACC matchup. I know that Maryland's not you know a, an ACC school anymore, but whatever. Uh, but moving on, we've got another huge one coming up here in the Ivy League an Ivy League matchup. We we talked about this a little bit last week. So we had Yale taking on Cornell. Uh, they're able to squeak out that 13 to 11 win. But we talked about this. This was Ben Reeves, the old bull in the Ivy League, taking on the young calf, the young pup in Jeff Teat. Uh, you know, two of the better attackmen in, in the country. Uh, you know, and so we got Reeves, the senior, taking on Teat, the sophomore. This weekend is going to be the same thing with Yale taking on Princeton, uh, you know, and, and now it's going to have to be Ben Reeves versus Michael Sowers. Uh, so, I mean, Princeton, they're going to be taking the trip up to Yale for this game. Uh, but, you know, we, we've mentioned this before. I mean, we've been high on Michael Sowers pretty much all the way through the podcast so far. I mean, the kid, we mentioned this before with, with Pat Spencer. He's another one of these attackmen in this country that you cannot slide to. Uh, the kids lacrosse IQ is out of this goddamn world. It, it makes sense why he f- ended up in the Ivy League. He's got, you know, the kid's brain is fucking massive. His, his his body might not be massive, but his brain, you know, the kid might only be like five six, five seven. His brain is is pretty much the entirety of that. 
so he always knows where that slide's coming from. He's a great feeder. Uh, so this is going to be another one where Ben Reeves is going to have to outduel one of these young uh, up-and-coming attackmen in the Ivy. Uh, so, Robbie O, what do you got on Yale versus Princeton on this Ivy League matchup? Yeah, I mean, anytime you get two Ivy League teams going at it, it's going to be a good one. Um, as far as Princeton goes, you know, their one big marquee win has been over a hot Rutgers team. Uh, Score-wise, you're going down their, uh, their schedule. Their losses, like, they, they've been to very, very strong teams, but they just haven't been too close. Uh, we've talked about Sowers. Uh, Sims has been filling, you know, that offensive role like we knew all of preseason was going to happen. But they're kind of still trying to figure out the third piece of the puzzle offensively. Um, yeah, I mean, go and then going to Yale. Uh, this is a team that have won all of the games that they've needed to win. Um, they are six and one. They've had a one goal loss over Nova, uh, first game of the year, playing at Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Um, so anytime you get a first game of the year, anytime you get a stadium like that, big stage, you know, you're going to get a little bit of a flukish wins, no disrespect to Villanova. But, you know, Yale has been super, super steady. They're not really outscoring teams or blowing teams out. But like I said, won all the games that they've needed to win. I cannot see them dropping this game to Princeton. I could just see them taking care of some business. Their goalie, Jack Starr, has been playing lights out. Uh, 52% on the year. He actually got shelled against T in the big red only being 37%. But uh yeah, this could be a big bounce back game for him because Princeton's definitely been struggling on offense. They went 4 for 10 uh on pan up last game against Penn. So that's not good. You got to figure that out. You need man up to win games. Uh I got Yale in this one, but uh I I got a I got a hard fought game here. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I said this last week. I mean, you, when you're making picks, you can't go with your heart. My heart right now is telling me Princeton. My heart right now is telling me to follow Michael Sowers. Uh, with that being said, you know, again, this, this is this is Ben Reed's final go at it. I think that he has enough to kind of propel this Yale Bulldogs team uh, to a nice little run here. So, you know, I, I've got Yale coming out of this one on top. Similar to you, it, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be a blowout in any sense of the word, uh, you know. But I would love to see. I mean, listen, Yale's Yale schedule for the rest of the season. I mean, they've got Princeton here, they've got Penn, Bucknell, Dartmouth, Brown, Marist, and then we get to April twenty second, a month from. I guess if you're listening to this on Friday, a month from yesterday. Listen. Could you imagine a, you know, I guess that that would make them, oh shit, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 and 1, right? Would that make them, I think that might make them 11 and 1 heading into the Albany game. (laughs) We are are not mathematicians here on the cruise. Yeah, I did not go to school for math. I went to major in low to high. But I think that that would put them at an 11 game win streak heading to Albany on eight, oh wait, no, they're hosting Albany April 22nd. Uh, so listen, if for the sake of that game, uh, you know, having even more meaning than it will already, I hope that Yale pulls out this win against Princeton. I mean, an 11 1 Yale team heading uh, or hosting Albany is, is going to be a whole lot better than a 10 and 2 team. Uh, so I've got Yale coming out on this one. So we're on the same page for that for sure. Uh, but again, speaking of hard fought battles listen this game that we have coming up 
Johns Hopkins University, the Blue Jays, going up against the Virginia Cavs. Let me just run you through real quick the last four years in Hop versus UVA. So 2000 history. Yeah. Sit down, kids. Take out your notebooks and uh, <laughs> make sure you pay attention, you little bastards. <laughs> so last year, we had Hopkins with an 18 to 17 win over UVA in overtime. 18, 17, 35 goals. We said we weren't mathematicians. Here I am just breaking that shit out without a calculator. Uh, now we go to 2016. Regular season 2016, we have UVA downing, downing the Blue Jays 13 to 12 in overtime. So that's two overtime games in a row in the regular season. Now we go to 2015 regular season. We've got UVA again with a 16-15 overtime win. Granted, they did meet each other in the in the NCAA tournament that year. Uh, Hopkins kind of blew UVA out of the water in that game, but we're only talking regular season here. So that's 2017, 2016, 2015, all overtime games. 2014, we are going to back to, you know, you may not even have been a twinkle in your daddy's eye at this point. This is Hopkins. <laughs> Going down like again. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're three or four years old, you weren't even alive for this shit yet. And we have Hopkins going down again, 11 to 10 in overtime. So the last four years that these teams have met in the regular season, this game has gone to overtime. We've got them coming up again this year. We've got the seven and two Cavs against the five and two Blue Jays. Listen, this has been a tough Tough week for Virginia sports. I mean, Virginia gets upset the first ever in the March Madness NCAA basketball tournament, the first ever one seed to go down to a 16 seed. We got Virginia going down to UMBC. Uh, listen, I I think that you know a, a team, a university, a, an entire institution, they can only take so much right like i i feel like if if you lose if you're the first ever one seed to lose to a 16 seed rabio do you think that that thing you know that the universe kind of balances that out do does virginia get a win over hopkins in lacrosse to balance this shit out or is virginia just gonna have like the worst month ever uh, it depends how the headmaster's behaving. Uh, karma's a bitch. If uh, he or she is up to up to no good, it could be bad news for the Cavaliers. But uh, like you said, this has been a these have been two teams that have been going head to head for a while now. Uh, last year's game, you know, went into OT with Hopkins winning at Homewood, but that that that's when you had Ryan Field or Ryan Conrad excuse me you know he he's out with a season ending injury you know you know you don't have him anymore you don't have that offense defense uh presence that that he brought to the table that that grinder um as as far as I got here, uh, Michael Kraus obviously out to a hot hot start uh, with uh, Laviano on the offensive end, just putting up numbers and numbers. But I mean, uh, which Kraus is going to show up? I mean, last weekend the kid lit it up, put four goals in the first half, and then absolute goose eggs in the second half when they needed him most. So I mean, you're you're playing at UVA, so that it's going to be that uh, that beautiful grass field. The track's going to be fast. Um, 
as far as Hopkins goes in the cage, I mean, let's, I mean, we've talked about them offensively. You know, Cole Williams is just becoming their top stud. You got Little Mar balling out. Obviously, our reoccurring jet guest, Joel Tinney, has just been absolutely wearing that C on his chest with pride and also balling out. Um, so everything's clicking for them. Bro- uh, Brock Turnball in the net has brought consistency to a position that, you know, hasn't really been that consistent for Petramal in this defense. So I like Hopkins in this situation here, um, flying down to Virginia uh, and and taking uh, taking this one. And and also a little thing while I was just talking about that and getting that history lesson. I mean, dude, on Hopkins, we got Shaq Stanwick. I mean, he was watching his brother Steele win a Tawaratan on this field, win and like go through on this field and to win a national championship in 2011. So you, you know that he's going to be reminiscing of watching his older brother. So probably an emotional game for him as well. Um, I got I got Hopkins here. There's just there's a lot of good lacrosse blood running through this game. Love it. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think that Steele is wearing uh, – is he wearing UVA colors to this game? Is he wearing Hopkins colors? Is he going neutral? Is he just going, yo, little, little bro, go fuck yourself? Or what's, what's going on for this one? That That's a good question, and we're going to need to reach out to the social media community uh, for that. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Crease Dive. But we're going to need some boots on the ground to see uh, what kind of jersey uh steel is rocking my guess is gonna be and i'm a big brother so i'm gonna be biased i'm not trying to i'm not gonna try to say i'm the best big brother but i'd probably be rooting for the little bro but i could easily see this being being a fuck you little bro let's go caps game robbie oh you're you're a better man than i am but uh but yeah i mean if this game was at homewood i mean i'd have the blue jays in a route uh but listen, I mean, so far this year, uh, obviously the you know the the records are a little bit different when the teams were first playing. But just looking at it right now, so it's you know March twenty first as of right now, Hopkins their only two losses on the season, coincidentally, also the only two teams that are above five hundred right now. I mean they they beat Towson who are three and four. They beat Princeton three and three. Syracuse is three and three. UMBC two and five. Delaware three and four. So their only two losses are to Loyola and, and UNC. Um, so I, I like, like we've said pretty much all the time, I just, I'm not totally confident uh, in, in Hopkins on any given weekend. You know, they they either have the ability to be the best team in the nation or they have the ability to look like they haven't picked up their sticks in, in a few weeks. Uh, so I, I do think that, you know, Virginia, um, you know, they, they've suffered, you know, a couple couple close losses there. It, ACC matchups, they're still, oh, my God, those poor bastards, they're still trying to get oh. their first ACC win since uh, since before. 2014. Yeah, since 2014. So, I mean, it's, it's it's been a streak in overtime. That's the streak right there. I mean, they've they've – Gone to overtime with Hopkins, and they've been losing in the SEC since 2014. Um, I think that they come out on top on this one. I don't know why. Uh, you know, I don't really have any reason for that. I, I just think that it's one of those things where uh, you know, you know, Ho- Hopkins has been looking very good lately. Uh, you know, in their wins, you know that that win over Delaware. You know, they look great in that win over Syracuse. 
I think that they've just looked too good lately that they need one drop-off game, and that's going to be Virginia. And then they'll probably follow that up with a win against Rutgers. But I've I've got UVA coming out on top of this one. Uh, And that's going to bring us into our Sunday matchup, kind of going right back to my my man-up of the week. Huge football matchup here. We've got the Ohio State Buckeyes going up against Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame losing to Michigan earlier tonight. Again, as we've said plenty of times so far this episode, we're recording on a Wednesday. Notre Dame going down to Michigan. Uh, so, I mean, how how is that going to impact them uh, in their upcoming game here with the Buckeyes? Again, this is going to be a home game for Notre Dame, but it was also a home game against Michigan. Uh, are you sure it's a home game for Notre Dame? I'm. Uh, I believe. I believe it's going to be played at, at the Horseshoe. Speaking of uh, a little bit of football matchups, uh, un- unless Lax Power is a bunch of lion sacks of shit, this might be a home game for the Irish. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we will. We will uh, have to figure figure that out. Regardless, um, Ohio State enters this game with. Uh, you know, they're five and three. They are sitting at the bottom of the Big Ten. You know, Nick Myers has got to be like, hey, boys, you know, uh, po- possibly figure it out here. I mean, th- this is kind of the meat of the se- Like, You don't want to. So if Ohio State drops this game, not it's bad, but you're going into Big Ten play with three straight losses. That's just not good for a team's morale, not good for team chemistry with coaches and players. Um, but the, 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 main, the main focus and the best part about watching this Ohio State team play is, one, their defense is absolutely exceptional. They are extremely physical. Honestly, one of the best defenses in the country, despite their record. Um but their depth of scoring, they've had over 15 people register a point this season on the roster. Like, as we know, like year after year, uh, midi lines and tack lines are getting smaller and smaller. So that that's pretty big. You know, now they're on two-game skid. So it's, it's a big mental test. Uh, we're going to see how they play. Obviously, speaking of mental tests, um, Notre Dame just drops an absolute shocker, like we said, to Michigan. So that that's going to be another kind of how they bounce back, almost like a gut check. But uh, Notre Dame's definitely tightened up their defense, and hopefully this will be their coming out party on offense because no one's really, um, no one's really been, you know, putting up these massive noters, numbers for Notre Dame. They've kind of been like steady Eddie. Um, so there's a big test for uh, the the Irish here. Um, our boy Roger Garnsey has has gone missing. Yeah, I'm I'm not totally sure what is is going on with Garnsey this year. I don't think that it's an injury. It it just must be some sort of I uh, I mean, who who knows what's going on there, but you know, Ohio State's defense has been uh, you know, they're always tough to play against, but I'm I you know, I'm I'm going to say this again. I think that Notre Dame's defense is probably the best in the nation. Uh I mean, I I just I know that if I'm playing offense, you know, if if I'm, you know, I don't care what, you know, if I'm first line midi, second line midi, if I'm starting attack, I don't care if I'm whatever. I do not want to be on the same side of the field as John Sexton or else I know that I'm turning that shit over. Um I mean, this kid is a goddamn machine. Uh I mean, he's just racking up turnovers all over the place. Um you know, and I think listen, 
For Ohio State, I would feel so much more comfortable heading into this game if Notre Dame had just taken care of Michigan. Um, you know, I, I think that you know that that's one of those. You know, you, you go in there, so you, you know, you look at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, and they would have beaten Denver. They would have beaten Virginia. They would have beaten Michigan. Uh, you know, obviously a little bit of a loss there to Maryland, only by two. But that's you know, that's no big deal. That shit's gonna happen. Uh, but if they would have taken care of Michigan, they would have been feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, but the fact that they just went down to Michigan and listen. Michigan, they're they're a program on the rise. They've got great things coming in, in their horizon, but they're not there yet. This is not a year that Michigan, that Notre Dame should have lost to Michigan. Uh, so that I mean that that's going to be one where they're going to come out fired the fuck up to play against Ohio State. And again, I we're, we're, I guess we're going to have to check this. We don't have uh you know we don't have fact checkers on staff yet. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that this game is going to be in South Bend. So the fact that you know they they've got to get over that loss to Michigan, uh, I, I think that they're going to be out for blood against Ohio State. It, it sucks that the Buckeyes are going to be in the crosshairs, uh, but Notre Dame again they're they're one of those teams that they don't lose two games in a row. Uh, so Ohio State it just sucks that they're next up on the schedule because I think under different circumstances this is definitely a game that they can win, just not. The game, the game, the game is at Columbus. It's gonna be in the horseshoe, dude. Lax Power needs to figure their shit out. Then, well, I mean, there's no free ads, but Inside Lacrosse has their shit together, I guess, and obviously the Ohio State athletic website. Oh well, well then, uh, hey, well that might. And since it's a Sunday game, it's gonna be played on ESPNU, so it's gonna be at noon game Sunday at noon. Um, Dude, that, that's going to be a game that you want to tune into. I, obviously, everyone that's listening to this podcast loves when you get a little lax on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I guess, yeah, Notre Dame taking that trip out to Ohio, and they're going to be hungry for blood. Uh, so, I, I've, I've got Notre Dame coming out on that one on top. Uh, so, just, uh, just, just re- recapping my picks there for the weekend. I've got Maryland over UNC. I've got Yale over Princeton. I've got UVA taking down hot probably in overtime, and I've got Notre Dame over Ohio State. Robbie O, what are we working with? And for my picks, I got UNC over Maryland. I got Yale over the Princeton Tigers. I got Hopkins over Virginia. And I got Ohio State uh, beating a battered Notre Dame squad. And with that being said, capping off our weekend preview – and as always, I'm always so, so excited to see your weekend preview blogs on BarstoolSports.com. Highlight of my day. Let's get into some question marks, some Twitter questions. Like we said before, make sure you're following us on our socials at The Crease Dive on Instagram and Twitter. Shoot us some DMs. Shoot us some video requests. Love to hear from you guys. Uh, tonight, about an hour before... Uh, we started recording this. I just asked to sound off some questions. And uh, we're going to start off with one from uh, Inside Lacrosse's own Dan Aburn, who is asking us, what are your thoughts on offhands? Because in my experience, they are shit. Jordy, as two lefty attackmen, what are your thoughts on offhands? Yeah, I mean, so you know, as a lax rat myself, and I'm sure you're the same way. I've I've spent you know so many hours hitting the wall, um, you know, going you know going lefty, going righty, going you know this and that. Uh, 
it, now when you know when I'm I'm playing beer leagues, I'm playing a lot of box these days. I'm realizing that fuck an offhand. You do not need an offhand. I, I I've said before. I'm a, I'm a high school coach right now. I tell all my kids, listen. Do not put the stick in your offhand because you are going to fuck up. It is so much better to just get so good in your strong hand. You can do so much more with your strong hand. You can go, you know, you can go to the backhand if you want. You can go behind the back if you want. You can do so much more with a strong hand if you are able to perfect it than you are, you know, I I would rather be perfect with my strong hand that I would to be really good with the strong hand and kind of okay with my offhand. So, um, you know, may, maybe that's, you know, if, if I were a midi, maybe that would be a little bit different because, you know, maybe I'd, I'd be doing a little bit more sweeps and stuff like that. But, you know, as an attackman and, and as a guy who's been playing a lot of like beer league box lately, um, fucking offhand, Robbie, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you're the same way because I feel yeah, I mean, I, I am exactly the same way. I not that I don't believe in an offhand, but I like that mentality that you have. I'd rather be 150 times better than my offhand or than with my strong hand than my offhand. Uh, when I was playing, you know, uh, the coaches would when they would prepare for our offense and prepare versus me, they'd have the defenseman just literally take away my left hand, like not let me sweep to that side. It got to that point. I remember. I think what what did it for me. And we could also talk about the weight room. That's a different story for another time. But watching the Thompson brothers play was kind of what did it for me. Clear, obviously, I'm not like the Thompsons with my strong hand, but I played very similar with a sense of using your body and leveraging to get to that top side, to get to your strong hand, regardless of how defense are playing you. So I'm a big believer in the strong hand. I always say fucking offhand. And like we, and we've been seeing it more and more um, in the NCAA uh, as teams are starting to recruit more and more in Canada. Like you mentioned, you know, these box kids who are having their stick in one hand. I mean, look at Joel Tinney and, and Ian McKay, even, even Tehoga. Uh, he, he'd throw a one hand pass with his strong hand before he would switch it over with his other hand. So big team. Uh, strong hand and fuck the offhand. Um, that be, do you have any more to say on that? I think, I think we're both very, very heavy on this. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, as, as long as you're a creative player, uh, I think that, you know, staying in the strong hand is better. You can kind of come up with ways that, you know, again, if, if you're a lefty and teams realize that you're a heavy lefty and they take away your left, uh, as, as long as you're creative, you're able to work around that. You know, if, if you don't quite have the the brain for that, you know, and if you're not able to come up with ways to, you know, kind of get your stick free, then, you know, maybe work on your, on your right hand. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, going, you know, listen, I'm not saying don't hit the wall in your offhand. I'm not saying that, you know, you don't need an offhand. Well, I, I am saying you don't need an offhand, but I'm not saying like, don't ever like work on it. All I'm saying is that you should play to your skill set. It depends what kind of player you are. Well said, Rabia. We got any more questions this week? Yeah, we got one more question, and we're actually going to fly out west. This one comes from – oh, by the way, Dan Byrne. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. It's at Dan underscore A-Burn. That's A-B-U-R-N. Next question comes from Nick Leffler at FNL. E yeah at FNL Effler okay anyway how smoothly do you think Utah's transition to Division One 
from MCLA will go, considering their coaching staff is stacked with former D1 talent. They know the process and can recruit. I'm just going to jump on this real quick um, because I did have the honor to play with Will Manny. And let me just tell you that that guy knows exactly what he's doing on and off the field, an incredible leader in both both of those aspects. And having him on the coaching staff along with uh, the Holman family is huge for them. They know how to recruit. They know how to attract players. They know how to coach players. I've always been a strong believer of a player's coach. Um, I've never kind of – and we're seeing that more and more in Division One lacrosse uh, – less of these old school guys X's know the same plays and more towards letting kind of roll the ball out and play. But uh, yeah, that's really it to me. I actually think that they're going to make a real smooth transition into division one. Uh, Jordy, do we know what conference they're in? And also well, what's your take on this? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, like, like you said, I mean, imagine going to, you know, you, you've got an overnight visit or you've got a visit at all to Utah uh, and and you've got you know guys like Marcus Holman and Will Manny as the coaches there. Um, you know it, it's going to be so hard to turn those guys down. Um, you know they're, they're young. Uh, it, it's it's always exciting to play for younger guys who kind of get where this generation of the game is headed, uh, and you know they kind of understand you know what this generation of lacrosse you know what they're looking for um, in terms of coaches and in terms of experience at college. So. As far as recruiting goes, I mean, dude, listen, like, I, like I'll, I follow Utah Lacrosse on Twitter and Instagram, and every time that they put up like pictures of practice and shit, it's like, dude, like that that place looks like paradise. Like, like I, I don't know necessarily how the school. It, it's probably, I mean, it's a big time school. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily on the same state as like like an Arizona state. Um, but I mean, it's, it's definitely a big time school. You know, you're going to have like big time football games to go to um, yeah, basketball, big time basketball games to go to. So it, it, as far as the college experience goes for kids who are going to go there for lacrosse, you can't ask for much more. Uh, so, I mean, I think that those kids are going to be, you know, I, I think that, you know, Marcus and Will and, and that entire coaching staff, I think that they're going to be getting some real high level recruits, Right off the bat, uh, I'm not entirely sure what conference they will be playing in when they make the jump. Um, but I mean, listen, this is just the start. I mean, Utah it will be the first Pac-12 team uh, with a you know with a Division One men's team, uh, and, and we would love to see more Pac-12 schools jump on board. I understand that, you know, there are a lot of hoops to jump through with Title IX and shit like that. Uh, but, you know, Utah is is starting the movement here. Um, you know, and like I said, I, I think, you know, a lot of kids hopefully, uh, you know, are, are going to be smart enough to understand that, you know, the way that college lacrosse is growing uh, that more Pac-12 teams are going to be coming within the next few years. I mean, they might not be there by the time that they graduate, but like, would you not love to be a part of that like alumni system for when it's you know Utah versus Oregon, like a big like like a Utah versus you know Arizona State for like a huge game, um, being able to go back to Utah for that game. So I, I think you know, again, it's, it's going to be real easy to attract talent to that school, uh, you know, just by the school itself, couple in the fact there that you've got Marcus and Will coaching there. I think that they're going to have a real smooth transition to division one from MCLA. 
probably a few hiccups along the road. I mean, I don't think that their first year that they're going to win the national championship, but you know, they're going to be building uh, and getting better every single year. And listen, I mean, as, as a big time hockey guy, I mean, seeing the Vegas golden Knights, it's, it's their first season in the NHL. Um, you know, obviously they have, you know, they have an expansion draft, so it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, but I mean, if a team like the golden Knights can, you know, kind of take over the NHL in their first year, I don't see any reason why, you know, a team like Utah can't kind of take over college across within the next, you know, four to five years. Yeah. I mean, this is lacrosse, the sport of the future. So I'm very, very excited for uh, another West Coast uh, school to be uh, part of Division One lacrosse. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, this is this is just the next step. To, I've I've said this a few episodes in a row. I need Pac-12 lacrosse in my life because I need I need those ten o'clock games on Saturday nights to bet on. Uh, that's the best part of college football season is being at the bar and just slamming the overs at 10 p.m. Uh, so we need <laughs> chasing, chasing the day. We're chasing the day. We need Pac-12 lacrosse. Uh, but yeah, so that is going to wrap up episode nine of the Crease Dive. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who sent uh, sent in questions on Twitter. Again, on social, we are at the Crease Dive. That is for Twitter and instagram thank you again to francis for jumping on the podcast make sure you follow him he's at francis on barstool he's got so much shit going on there at barstool so make sure you follow him to keep up with everything that he's doing uh yeah i mean great weekend lined up here for college across so listen sit down buckle up grab yourself a few cold ones get on that couch maybe hit the wall a little bit in your strong hand only and let's have ourselves a weekend low to high to the day we die. We will talk to everybody next week. We out.